Jack. Hello. Go ahead, mate. How are you doing? Yeah, doing well. How are you? I'm very good, thank you. <laughs> Fantastic. I'm glad we uh, I'm glad we've been able to do this. Uh, so thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me. I know you're in a crazy busy period. It, it feels like it's been nonstop crazy throughout 2024. I imagine. Yeah, it's been a busy couple of weeks leading up to the album coming out, and uh, we've been on tour for the last week and a half, which has been a lot of fun. So yeah, yeah, yeah it's been good. How's the how's the new songs going down in the live environment? Yeah, really well. I mean, I think a lot of these songs, um, you know, you spend a lot of time in the studio and you write them and then you spend a lot of time recording them. And then the exciting thing is then to sort of unleash that on the world uh. and then you get to play them in a live setting. And it's been really cool seeing people singing along with them, even though the album's only been out for a week or so. Um you know they know the lyrics better than I do, which is uh, you know pretty alarming. Any any particular song that you're noticing when you're looking out in the crowd that's really really hitting, really resonating? Yeah, Constellations, which was the first single, which got um, a lot of backing from Planet Rock. I think a lot of people have heard that song, and um, you know it's got one of those really catchy choruses that people can kind of get their ears around and. Uh, that's gone down really well. There's another track called Bullets, which has been popular, which again was Planet Rock Airplayed. But one of the, the songs that was sort of unheard before the album came out, which is called Love is the Law, um, we've kind of been doing this extended edition of it live where I can play lots of guitar solos and have a bit of a jam on it. And uh, right. people seem to be really liking that one as well. So, yeah, it's good. Oh, that's banging. That's really cool. I, I love that as well, you know, because you hear what's on the record and it's tight and it's produced fantastically and you're hearing at its absolute, absolute best. But obviously in a live environment, you get to you get to play around a bit more. You get to hear a little differences, a little roar and you having more fun. Also, we're a, a trio. So, you know, mm. you're in the studio and you're layering all these guitars on top and um, lots of vocals as well in the studio as well. So part of why it's so much fun taking it into a live arena is reworking those tracks into a more stripped back um, sounding band. And so, you know, I can't play 10 guitar parts all at once. So it's about picking and choosing the, the most relevant bits to, to play them live. And it's really exciting. You know, I think that that's part of it. You know, my favorite band, all time favorite band is Led Zeppelin. And so they, they had to do a very similar thing with, tracks like cashmere i mean how do you transfer that into a live setting so uh yeah hopefully i'm doing them justice we'll see well the turnout says that you must be and obviously the popularity uh so far of what the album what the album has um reached already is clearly clearly notable have you been surprised by the incredible reaction to battles i was very surprised last week when it got in the official charts mm. i mean that was crazy i you know, I didn't expect that. I, I did not check the charts at all on Friday because I didn't expect it to happen. And so then sort of woke up at about five in the morning to a message on my phone saying, you do realise you got in the charts last night? And I was like, what the fuck? Um, <laughs> so that was a really exciting moment. And um, we've worked very hard on it. And, uh, you know, I, I think that the... The collaboration with Josiah Manning co-writing the tracks uh, helped kind of raise my game as a songwriter as well. Um, and so, 
it, you never can tell with this stuff. You know, you spend a long time in the studio writing a, a, an album and then you hope that it's well received. I always think that people that say, oh, I don't care whether I get good reviews or not. I always think they're lying because you do care. I mean, if some if you released an album and everybody slagged it off, you'd obviously be very upset. Um, yeah. So I'm, I'm very pleased that people seem to be digging it so far. Yeah, I think you'd wonder why, uh, you'd at least have to wonder why everybody is hating the album, right? You'd at least have to question maybe some of your methods. <laughs> yeah, of course. And I think, you know, we had positive feedback for the first singles that came out. So um, for me as well, like the, there was a lot of kind of hidden gems in the record. So the fact that we got positive reviews for the first three singles, I was thinking, well, wait until we hear this other stuff on the, the album. Um, and I was really excited about people hearing the the stuff that isn't the full throttle rock and roll it's mm. a bit more kind of bluesy southern rock um with with more kind of emotion in the singing and, and that side of things and i was really pleased with how the vocals came out on this album I, I worked really hard at trying to find my voice as a vocalist and i think that that's possibly resonated with a lot of people as well yeah i'm gonna i was gonna ask about that the resonation it's because it can be difficult to obviously put your finger on it as the artist, as the creator, as to why uh, an album is resonating so much with people so quickly as well. Aside from, as you say, your impressive vocals and the overall all killer, no filler aspect of the album. Can you? Is there anything else that you can kind of point at as to why it might be resonating with so many people? I think as a songwriter, I've always tried to be really honest in my lyrics and I've tried to write about my own experiences as a person so rather than trying to you know write a narrative for each track and you know one of my favorite bands is Iron Maiden and a lot of their their lyrics deal with things that are um you know kind of surreal in in the, many respects I've never been able to write like that I've got to write about things that I've experienced in my life because I always think as well I've got to go out on the road and sing these songs for a year so I, it, I've got to be able to back it up and feel like I'm being honest uh, as a as an artist, and maybe that resonates with people as well. You know, mm. that they've seen somebody singing about their life, and maybe there's things that they can kind of uh, reflect on and uh, see that that is similar to their own experiences. You know, I've written a lot of songs about loss, and you know, the, the experience I had with with my dad being ill a few years ago. And uh, there's a the track on the new record, Stay With Me, which which deal with, deals with that. And I think people can kind of read into that and see themselves in, in it. So um, that can only be a positive, you know, and hopefully it helps people. I think that's a, a, a magical thing about music. If it can help people deal with uh, their own stresses or, or um, you know, things that have negatively impacted them, uh, hopefully music offers an escape for them as well. I think that's so important because, of course, I mean, battles, while it is impressively anthemic, and if you want to enjoy it in that aspect, you just want to hear some good rock and roll, some good blues, you can enjoy it in that in that aspect. But it's also an album, as you said, it kind of comes from the heart and soul of you. But exposing yourself in such a way can be challenging to a lot of people. How How did you find the want of a better word, courage to kind of open yourself up like this? I think when I was younger, I was really shy and I felt like I couldn't communicate verbally how I felt a lot of the time. 
And so my route to doing that was through songwriting and performing live. And it was funny when I first started doing this, how people who met me outside of that live setting would comment that my personality was quite different off stage to when I'm on stage. And I think there's a lot of artists that are like that because you can explode on stage and be this, this person that is probably within you, but you can't do that in everyday life. Mm. So I think that I, I, I feel like I've... I've always used music as a way of communicating in just the same way I would have a conversation with somebody. So I, I do hope that people, um, you know, they they can sort of recognise that in the music, that there's an honesty there that um, is it's still me, but it's not necessarily the way that um, I communicate every single day. But I think that, you know... That, Music and songwriting and particularly writing lyrics has offered me this kind of route to um, dealing with a lot of demons that I probably otherwise wouldn't have been able to do. Um, and that's that's really been a positive thing for me. As much as a listener, a fan get can get stuff from your music, um, you're also getting so much from it as well. So is it fair to say it's still a learning experience for you to open up like this? I think the... Some songs you're more fragile than others. I think that mm. we, we've played Stay With Me, the final track, a few times on the tour, and I find that really hard to do it live, you know, to kind of recreate that vocal line, which was very delicate in the studio. Um, other tracks like Bullets, which are just full throttle rock songs, that, you know, that's just unleashing the beast and being able to kind of rock out for four minutes. Um, but I think that as an artist you've got to do that you've got to lay yourself uh, bare and kind of um leave yourself in this kind of fragile position where you you're open to um criticism as well i think that's always something that's a bit bit difficult if somebody doesn't quite dig what you're doing and you've put it all out there for them i think that can be really hard mm. uh, but you know i i think there's actually a, a, a shield that that gives you, which is that, you know, if you're just being honest to yourself and putting yourself uh, out there in that way, if somebody doesn't dig it, then you're just like, well, at least I, I, I've delivered um, my side of it. And I, I can only be the best that I can be in terms of writing these songs and, and playing them for other people. Have you built up, do you think you built up quite a good shield towards criticism and negativity? Because it can be an incredibly negative world out there. Yeah, I think we live in a very different world to when I first started uh, playing music. You know, I've been in so many different bands prior to doing this solo thing. But I was always just a guitarist. There was something um, a little bit more... Um, you know, there's something easier about being a guitarist in a band and not being the front man, because if somebody slagged off the band and the album, it was like, well, I'm just in the background playing guitar. Whereas when I decided to go solo, um, there was an added pressure to that. Um, and actually, when I started, there was no social media. So, mm. you know, you'd get reviews in magazines and things and it would be like, oh, crap, somebody's not dug this, this album uh, or this single or whatever. But over the last 10 years, obviously, you put something out there and immediately you've got this wave of comments on social media about what you've done. And um, the one of the strangest things I've had over the years is the fact that I started out as an acoustic blues artist and mm. then kind of segued into heavier blues and now 
there is blues on my new record, but it's it's hard rock. And so that just seemed to piss off a load of people. And I, I was really surprised by that. I was just like, guys, just just chill the fuck out. Like if you if you don't like what I'm doing, just listen to the older records. So that I thought that was really crazy. And the lengths to which people would express that where mm -hmm. I was getting direct messages on on Facebook with people saying I'd, I'd let them down because I wasn't playing acoustic blues anymore. And I was just a bit like, get over yourself. <laughs> you know? um, so I think that over time, you know, I've put out quite a few albums now. And what I've learned is to to have no expectations in terms of the re the response. All I can do is make an album that I'd be happy to listen to myself. And if people love it, great. If people dislike it, well, fair enough. You know, there's plenty of artists that I see uh release music and I I listen to it and think that's not for me but I wouldn't feel the need to go on social media and slag him off so <sighs> god yeah it's the most uh it's it's a horrendous thing the idea of ever messaging as you say an artist and telling them something like that or spraying a load of abuse out absolutely blows my mind have you managed are you quite good actually should I say from being able to disconnect yourself from that side of making music because it is such an important part of making music the social media the promotion the requirement to kind of put yourself out there a bit more than maybe you'd like to well one of the crazy things about you know the last couple of weeks with the album coming out is um you kind of end up barely playing any music because you're doing loads of interviews. You're doing loads of press stuff, which I, I actually really enjoy doing that, but um, it's, it's very bizarre. And I think mm. that you, as an artist, like on album launch day, we were driving up to do a show in Blackpool. We'd done the album launch in London the night before. And so the whole day I'm in the van just on social media, responding to things, posting things. And it's great. It's really exciting, you know, seeing all these people getting their, their red vinyls and sharing the pictures and stuff. And I love doing that. Um, but I know plenty of artists that, that absolutely hate it and they don't see it as their responsibility to, to be on social media and promote themselves in that way. But I kind of like the fact that it makes you closer to your fan base and I can just mm -hmm. respond to people and say, you know, I'm so happy that you bought an album because ultimately it's those people that, that put their hands in the pockets and bought the record that got it in the official charts last week. So I think there's something quite exciting about it, but I ultimately it's changed so much. You know, I, I was really stubborn about getting a mobile phone for ages. I didn't want one. I was like, this is just crazy. I want to be off grid. And I actually, I remember saying that the reason I don't want to get a mobile phone is it will interrupt my, um guitar practice and i was like people will be able to contact me and it'll put me off whereas now i'm t i'm on twitter and uh facebook and all the rest of it all the time posting pictures of me playing my guitar and responding to people so yeah it's uh it's a tricky one there is no right balance it's as simple as that you, you kind of ha you have to play the game if you're going to make music you kind of have to play the game but you've also got to get the balance right for your own mental health but also you know to not become an addict would you call yourself an addict? Well, I think that there is a bit of a, a, a strange thing that people develop, which is, um, and I think this is one of the worst things for musicians' mental health, is they get into this horrible trait of comparing themselves to other people. And it is difficult to not do that. You know, if you put a, you put a song out that you really believe in, 
and then it doesn't get picked up by anybody and then you see another track by another band that's been put out and you think god that's shit but everyone loves it mm. i think there's a bit of a weird thing as a musician where i know plenty of musicians who just beat themselves up and see it as they've failed massively and um I kind of have learned over the years to be a little bit more robust about that and then to just kind of say, well, they're doing their thing, I'm doing my thing. Trying to compare yourself to other people is just, um, it's you're just on to a, to a loss, aren't you, doing that? Um, but I think that the, being a musician and being a touring musician does take its toll. I think going on tour is tough. You know, I've, I've played with plenty of musicians over the years where you get five dates into a tour and they want to go home and see the girlfriend, which I think is fine. Like, you know, it's fine to admit that, but um, I've always quite enjoyed being on the road. And when I mm. come home, I do find it a bit strange to be at home, but it does mean I can then binge watch Lord of the Rings for the 50th time and relax for a couple <laughs> of days. But the, after that, I'm like, I need to get back out on the road. <laughs> Just the Lord of the Rings though, or do we throw in the three Hobbit movies as well? You know what? I, that I, I had a day off, uh, last week where I, I started the Hobbit movies, actually I've, I've re restarted them, but I'm a bit of a, a bit of a sci-fi, uh, uh, you know, geek and Phil Wilson, my drummer is as well. And so, um, yeah, I, we went to see Blade Runner last night, which is actually really cool to see that in the cinema. So, um, that's kind of what we're doing in our downtime is try and seek out, uh, showings of old films at the cinema. <laughs> Absolutely. I've never seen Blade Runner in the cinema. I would love to, but weird, weird coincidence, like last week or a week before, I ended up finding the Blade Runner soundtrack vinyl in a HMV in my local town and picked that up. So, yeah, Blade Runner's great. It's uh, Van Gallis, isn't it, who did the soundtrack? Oh. For the I think Hans Zimmer did the sequel, but um, both soundtracks are just incredible. I actually, we put that on in the van after gigs a lot of the time because that, you know, the last thing you really want to listen to after you've been playing hard rock for three hours is if you want blood ACDC, you kind of listen to that pre-show, but we've, yeah. we've put a lot of sort of sci-fi soundtracks, a lot of John Carpenter goes on in the van uh, mm. after shows as well. So I think that kind of mellows us out a little bit, but um, hell, yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah. It's something I said to mellow out to, to focus, just to distract as well. Um, well, let's, let's, kind of focus on battles a little bit here and I guess I want to get an idea if you had a vision at the start so when you first sat down on a path and you were all right new album time did you have a clear direction that you wanted to go in I think for the first time in my career I did I have usually written albums by writing a song here and there and then eventually you've got a collection of 10 tracks and you just go in and record them Mm. Um, and actually kind of go in sporadically to the studio and record them. With this one, it was a bit of a strange process in that the band that I'd played with for a few years at the end of the last album tour cycle, they both moved on to different projects, which kind of was really depressing in many ways, but also um, allowed me this opportunity to have a kind of clean slate with everything. Um, I had no band. And so I was like, okay, where do I go from here? And I'd already been chatting with Josiah Manning, who'd, who'd mixed the last record about doing some songwriting together. Um, and so what we did was we, we basically just created a Dropbox folder where I bunged a load of songs 
uh, in there that I'd written. I wrote a lot of it when I went to Los Angeles to play some shows in America about a year and a half ago. I wrote about half the album whilst I was there and then sent those to Josiah. But we had this kind of weird, uh, you know, pre-production meeting, which I've never done before, where it was like, what is the aim of this record? What's it going to look like? And what sort of songs are we going to write that hold together as a cohesive piece? I think a lot of my albums in the past have suffered from the fact that they're a bit all over the place mm. in terms of you might get a hard rock song, you might get a song that sounds like a soundtrack to The Thing, or you might get a, a, an acoustic track that sounds like it's off Led Zeppelin 3. But this one, I think it hangs together far better. And so those initial five songs, it was like, right, let's work up some demos for these. But what are the other five songs and what's going to make bullets stand out as a track and what's going to be the track that follows that on the record you know should constellations be the first single should it be you know what follows that and so that was a really interesting process thinking about when that final note hits on a song what comes next mm. and um we worked really hard at that we spent about two weeks in the studio writing the record before we even started recording it um and so then we did the uh, the recording in two big chunks, which I've never done before. And that was great to feel hauled up in the studio with Josiah Manning and the drummer, Billy Hammett, and working on these tracks until they, they were, in our eyes, perfect. Um, and so the, the concept with it was very clear from the start, which was to think about my guitar playing and sort of up my game in terms of that, but also making sure that the melodies were there. I think that I've always had a, a sort of soft spot for pop music and that, you know, the Beatles were a, a massive influence on me when I was a kid mm. before I kind of went down that blues route. And so it was like, okay, let's try and add a lot of Beatles type harmony parts onto these songs that will be memorable for people when they hear them. Um, so, yeah, there was definitely a preconceived idea about doing that as well and making sure every track could be played on the radio. That was another thing that we discussed. Um, and so a lot of the tracks are only three or four minutes long, whereas in the past I would have probably stuck a six-minute guitar solo in there, which is the just about the only criticism I've had of the record is people going, where's the big guitar solo? Ah. They go, well, come to a live show. You'll see them there. <laughs> It's not an easy balance to get right, though. Ra <laughs> everything being radio friendly, um, able to be played in the radio, but also have the heart and soul and as all those aspects you want. Did did you find getting that balance a particular challenging point? Not really. I, it honestly felt like it was quite easy to do this album, which is a good sign, I think. You know, previously in the past, I've definitely fallen for that trap of thinking I need to be the tortured artist when I'm creating my record and I need to suffer in order to create great art. With this, it was like, oh, this is really fucking easy. We've written a bunch of songs that we really like and they've got loads of great hooks in them. And then when we went back to record them, it was just like Billy the drummer smashed out those drum parts so quickly that we had the, the, the kind of grounding to have, a, you know, start overlaying all the guitar parts and the and the vocal harmonies and really making sure it was a it it was a modern rock production that it mm. didn't sound rough around the edges 
I think I've always in the past felt like I need to um, make things sound raw. Like mm -hmm. for some reason that's better. But actually um, we, we looked at other artists. We created a Spotify playlist and thought, you know, what are, what's modern production? What is the, the kind of pinnacle of kind of modern rock production? And we looked at a lot of, um, you know, bands like Slash and Miles Kennedy and how their records sounded and that, that was definitely an influence on songs like Constellations. A big influence was the Winery Dogs as well. Uh, mm. Richie Cotson's playing. We we looked at that in terms of the riffs, um, and so certain influences that I'd I definitely not um, explored previously, and so I think Josiah had that influence in opening my eyes to new artists as well, which was 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 pretty cool. Um, even at this point, even at this point in your career, you're still still finding fresh influence, learning new things. I think you've got to do. I mean, I I always bring up this story about a band I played for years ago where the lead singer just used to say that he didn't listen to other bands because he didn't need to because his music was better than everyone else's. And I thought, what a knobhead. I think that, that if you don't expose yourself to new music you're just going to dry up as a creative force. And I've always, as soon as I get home off tour, you know, I go out and see shows in London and I'm always in London popping out to clubs or or bigger gigs or whatever it might be and trying to see new bands. Mm. And it it's a great way of, um, you know, on a basic level, part of what I do is I look at new bands and, and I'm always sort of chatting to them saying, oh, do you want to come and do some support slots for me and that kind of thing. But also, I think you've got to you've got to keep evolving as an artist. And um, somebody said to me last week, you know, if you started thinking about the next record, you know, will you do the same thing again? And I, I don't know whether I will. I think I need to. I think you've always got to try something new, otherwise you'll just dry up. And um, yeah, people are a little bit. Uh, People like to feel like they're in a comfort zone, don't they? But I think it's quite interesting sometimes to think outside your comfort zone and listening to new music is part of that, isn't it? Yeah, you want to be creatively stimulated, um, or uh, as you uh, particularly if you want to make music. Um, so when you kind of reflect on the entire creation process of battles, I'm talking writing, recording, producing, whatever area you want. What what particular area did you find really creatively satisfying this time around? I think the vocals were a massive thing for me. And Josiah Manning, um, his wife, Charlotte, was in the studio quite a bit when we were doing the sessions, and she's a vocal coach. And so she gave me quite a lot of advice on how to sing in a, a better range for me vocally. I think I'd never quite found my range on previous records hmm. and also to use the lower register of my voice which I've always been a bit nervous about and using the tonality of my voice you know I've always written in a high in a higher key so I can basically kind of let rip and screech over stuff whereas with this album um there's a track on there called love is the law which we worked quite hard at finding the right key for but also you know so you start on a journey with the vocals and um you don't stick on one kind of note for the whole track. And I, I that was really rewarding for me. And I, I no, I've noticed it on these first few shows, singing the songs, is my voice just feels more powerful because of wow. that. Wow. Wow, so it's stuck. It's 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 part, part, part of you now. 
Yeah, and one thing is that we've we've sort of gone back to some of the older stuff and gone, well, maybe we should alter some of the keys here and look mm -hmm. at make certain stuff higher and certain stuff lower. So we've really altered the live set based on this last album recording. Um and that's the thing, like we we're planning on touring this record for a year. So you want to be able to start consistently and maintain these levels throughout the whole 12 months. So yeah. um, Charlotte had a massive impact on how I was thinking about my voice. And, you know, the previous records, it's all been about the guitar and the voice has kind of come secondary. And I think a lot of blues rock guitarists fall foul of that. Mm. But this was about, well, the guitar is important, but... These, this is about the fucking songs. Make sure the songs are really strong. And uh, that was just so exciting. It felt like unlocking something in me, which was really cool. We're sort of sticking to that theme then, of, but from a lyricist's point of view, because we've got the likes of From Days Are Gone, The Bullets, To Run In An Empty, To Stay With Me, To Don't Let The Fuckers Get You Down. You're saying a lot here. So much so that I wonder about ordering your thoughts across the entire album from a lyrical point of view. Did you have much trouble there? Did it all come quite natural? Yeah, I think that there, there was a general theme and I, it was almost like having a mood board in the studio where you looked at kind of key words about the, the lyrics and what we're trying to say. And um, I kept using the word positive and about... Um, this idea of using negativity but twisting it to your advantage and using it as fuel to make yourself stronger and i think that you know after a couple of years where i had a lot of issues in my personal life with my dad's illness other stuff that was going on health wise it felt like bouncing back from that and using it as as a platform to um you know across 10 tracks talk about how you can face so much shit in your life but actually it can make you a better person. Mm. So every single song, I mean, some of the songs, you know, you kind of have scratch lyrics when you're writing songs. That's what I do in that, you know, some of the lyrics initially you talk about dragons and wizards and all that stuff. Yeah. Because I've been watching The Hobbit. But then you kind of go, um, you know, let's switch up the lyrics and make sure that they're addressing what the album is about. Some of the lyrics really did flow quickly. Days Are Gone was one of those constellations. But I do remember Rip It Up was the hardest track to write. We rewrote the lyrics so many times. And then when the whole album had been mixed and mastered, I went back to Josiah and said, I want to make some changes to that song. And so we then... My idea was to bring the chorus right to the beginning of the track, which is how it ended up. And it was because um, I'd been listening to the Beatles and thinking mm. about Paperback Writer, actually. Paperback Writer was the influence on that. And so um, that was like after everything's done and dusted and Josiah's like, oh, my God. But I think it, it worked and kind of redid some of the, the lyrics just to make them better. And uh, I think that was it as well, was about not settling things i think in the past i've just bashed out lyrics and gone that'll do get me to the guitar solo whereas this it was a you know there's there's lots of photos of me in the studio with my little notebook scribbling away and crossing stuff out and trying to really think about who i am as a lyricist as well do you think that's something you're going to continue to take forward to keep a lot of focus on what you're doing as a lyricist i think so i think it's easy to you know, I've written a lot of songs about driving fast cars, getting mm -hmm. smashed, and, you know, evil women. 
that's basically what a lot of the songs on my early records are. And it just gets to the point where it's just a bit boring. So I'd like to just write things a bit more deeper than that. And, uh, you know, hopefully I've achieved that with this new record. There are a couple of songs that reference fast cars, though, so I haven't escaped it completely. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. Um, what do you overall hope that the majority of listeners are able to take from the album? Uh, I love it if it made them smile and it made them feel like it's a positive experience listening to it, you know. Um, there's certain bands that I always stick on when I'm feeling a bit down and certain records, like Aerosmith are one of those bands. Like if I'm feeling a bit low, I put on actually kind of like the, the early 90s Aerosmith, stuff like Loving an Elevator, that kind of thing that's a bit more just upbeat and it just mm. changes my mood. I, th I want this record to be a bit like that for people. Um, you know, this album isn't Gajira. It's not going to um, smash you in the face and and sort of deal with uh, environmental issues or, or something like that. This is a positive record about emotions. That's how I describe it. And so, you know, if it makes people happy, then that's pretty cool. We have Gojira anyway as well, so nobody wants that from you. But in in the, I can't in imagine the, anything worse actually. Me trying to do Gojira, I love that. Never, band. never say never, though, right? I mean, you're an experimental artist. Who knows what you do? I'm not saying obviously you'd go in that direction, but who knows what you'll pull pull, pull out in the future? Um, what then does success look like for you? Well, to be honest. Uh, success was me releasing my first album when i did that 10 years ago i felt like i'd actually just achieved something and that that came after a period where i'd been in in various bands i'd done session guitar for people and i just was falling out of love with playing music mm. um and then to have that creative outlet for me was just enough and um Every time you do something, you set yourself targets, don't you? I mean, the fact that I managed to get in the official charts with this record has just blown my mind, to be honest. And I think it'll take a lot to really top that. But success for me ultimately is seeing people positively respond to the album, fans that I've built up over a 10-year period that are still coming to my gigs, still following me around, and seeing them share on release day that they love the record, it does mean a lot to me. And uh, yeah, so that to me is success as well. Absolutely. The achievement of reaching the charts cannot be understated. Um, and of course, the immense amount of radio play and airplay that Tracks from Battles are, is getting continues to get. We hope continues into the future, of course, as well ton alive man absolute live with dates march april may 2024 is looking crazy busy is it fair to say that's basically what you want the majority of 2024 to be just out there live yeah yeah i mean we're sort of um really putting a lot of work in at the moment just adding shows in i've got some european dates which i'm about to announce as well which will be really cool and then i'm hoping to get back over to america i've, I've been there mm -hmm. twice and I've done solo gigs over there without my band. So the idea is to go back with uh, the band Phil and Charlie and 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 smash it playing the album uh, as it should be played over there. Uh, either at the end of this year, or it might be January 2025 20, when we do that. But yeah, love going over there. That'd be cool.
Fingers crossed it happens and it's super, super successful. Jack, just before you go, we have a small section at the end where this guy's introduced. This is Ozzy Osbourne and in his head are randomized cards of everything and everything, uh, including lots of submissions from other bands and artists too. Um, I'm going to pull some out at random if you wouldn't mind answering. But the first one actually is not random. It's just it's something I wanted to ask you. You're in London. I'm London. Uh, we're going out for a drink. Where are we going? What's the place to go? Well, I used to live in Camden and the place I used to go all the time for a drink was the Black Heart because it was it was right opposite the, the tube station. So when mm -hmm. I'd been at other gigs, I'd always kind of come out the tube and go, just one more. And then I'd end up in the Black Heart for a couple of hours. So that would be my choice. Absolutely. Absolutely love that place. Uh, spend my life in the Black Heart too these days as well. Or pop down to the dev if it's there. Uh, what about venues? What about venues? What's uh, what's 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 your favourite venue in London? I played some good shows down at the Half Moon in Putney, um, mm. which is a bit of a, a sort of posh venue, really. But I mean, I've also played some great shows at the Black Heart for sort of like sweaty rock nights. Yeah. Uh, I did my album launch at the O2 Islington. I, I like that venue as well. Um, but my all-time favourite venue, which I haven't played yet, I'd love to play it, is Shepherd's Bush Empire. And the reason is that it was the first gig venue I went to in London when I moved to London and I saw the Black Crows there uh, for three nights in a row. And I spent the whole time just basically in the park outside um, smoking weed and getting hammered so i can't can't tell you whether the band were any good but it seemed like an incredibly magical evening all three evenings fabulous <laughs> <laughs> what a great story okay uh random question then what is a video game that you can just lose hours to if you play well the video game that i've probably been banned from playing um there's two video games, Super Mario Kart, which is, I'm talking about the original Super Mario Kart. Yeah. Um, and then uh, Pro Evo, which was a game that I played at, at university sort of 15 years ago, but was then banned by my housemates because I basically lost my shit when one of my flatmates uh, who was just so good at the game just kept hammering everybody and then he he beat me 12 nil so i threw my control box at his television and, and broke the tv so i've not actually really played computer games since then because it seems to unleash the beast uh, <laughs> so yeah broken controllers it happens to us all okay do you think you could survive a zombie apocalypse um it's interesting that yeah i think that I've always been really into zombie films. And so um, a lot of the time I, I've thought, I've thought about this a lot, actually, what I would do in terms of a zombie apocalypse. And I, I'm not, I wouldn't describe myself as a prepper at all, but I think actually as a touring musician, you're so used to being able to think on your feet and drive around and find play, find ways of surviving actually um, that that would probably hold me in good stead. And I, you know, I've got a good uh, stock of Heinz beans and sausages as well. So that would probably help hold me in good stead. That's all you need. Have you, um, have you ever read uh, the Max Brooks, Max Brooks books, the eight, uh, the zombie survival guide and world war Z? No, I haven't, but I, I do know what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Good, good stuff there. Um, you say <laughs> zombies. What about, I got to ask then what's the go-to zombie film? Oh, I mean, my sort of favourite, I, I like the old school stuff. I mean, it kind of reminds me of um, being a kid and for whatever reason, my parents 
leaving a TV in my room, and I used to watch was it Doctor Terror's House of Horrors that was ah. on um, that was on a Friday evening, and I wa remember watching uh, Dawn of the Dead, the original Dawn of the Dead, and just mm. being completely horrified by it. But it sort of unleashed this love of those films for me for a long period. And I don't know if it was the uncut version that's about three three hours long or whatever, but mm. uh, I do sporadically still watch that one. But then more, more modern stuff like 28 Days Later, I think is incredible as well. Yeah, I wouldn't advise uh, any child ever seeing Dawn of the Dead, but I think I come from the same world. I've seen the sort of movies way too young. I've become an obsessed with them since. Yeah. Which is okay, the one, what, which was the, the, the slightly, is it Night of the Living? No. Oh, I can't remember which one it is. It's slightly funny, isn't it? The one where they're, they're trapped in the kind of mortuary. Return. It's the Return of the Living Dead. Um, Return of the Living Dead. Yeah, and that's got a great yeah. soundtrack as well, isn't it? It it does punk rock soundtrack. Um, it's the it that film inspired our website. The brains part of our title. Yeah, from that film. Oh, and the fact they keep saying brains. It's, yes. Uh, yeah, it's pretty phenomenal. I'm, I might watch that tonight. Having talked about that, I've not watched it in years. Don't know if you can see it, but that's a tattoo oh, from incredible. the actual film. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, one more for you then. What is the last thing you do before you go to sleep? Uh, well, returning back to our conversation about Blade Runner, I usually put on um, some sci-fi music or something like that, and then that helps me go to sleep. And I do read a lot of IMDb. That's I, I will look up. I mean, last night after I'd been to see Blade Runner, I just went on IMDb and read all about Blade Runner, and that kind of sets me off into a good dream of... of about being in Blade Runner. So, um, or John Carpenter. I listen to a lot of John Carpenter's stuff. Maybe not the Halloween soundtrack, but it would be more um, stuff like his actual soundtracks. He's done a couple of albums that are, um, you know, I don't mean soundtracks. His, his non-movie music. Mm. I think his anthology series, actually. I think that's what it's called. Um, but yeah, a bit of John Carpenter that is just going to set me off in a calm way into a nice dream, probably about a zombie apocalypse mixed with Blade Runner. There it is. Um, hopefully you get lots and lots of good sleep over the next year because you're going to be so damn busy touring and enjoying the success of Battles, which is out now. Do urge everyone to go listen to it, but it appears plenty of bloody people already have. Jack, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. I really appreciate it. Thanks, man. I really appreciate you taking the time to interview me. And it's been a fun chat as well. It's been good. Thank you very much for watching. If you'd like to see more content like this, please consider hitting the subscribe button. It is gratefully appreciated. You can find us over at gbhbl.com, our full website, where reviews, news, and so much more goes up daily. We're also on all social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, threads, at GBHBL. Just search for GBHBL and you will find us out there. We also have merchandise on sale. You can access the shop via the website.